I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Yes or no, did you ever take banned substances to enhance your cycling performance? Yes. I had no prior knowledge of the planned assault on Nancy Kerrigan. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior I engaged in. What's up, everybody? Oops, the podcast. My name is Julio Gallarotti. I'm joined by Francis Ellis. It's me! How you doing, dude? Yeah, excited to see you. Every time I see, see you, you it's, uh, it's, a, it's the best part of my day. That's nice, man. That's nice of you to say. I don't know if I believe you. No, I'm, it's true. That's good, man. Likewise, dude. I enjoy this. <laughs> you, I, I convinced you very quickly. No, it's true. It's a good time, you know? It is a good time. Uh, <laughs> what's happening with you? Back to the bathrobe, huh? Dude, I don't know. I'm having like a I'm having like a bad quarantine day. I'm kind of just like bummed out. Dude, it happens, man. I have them a lot. I'm just you, like, we should come up with coping mechanisms for people when they're in a, a quarantine funk. We should. We should. You know, Raina Greenberg told me the funniest thing. She said she was really sad one day and she just went out in public and sat down on a park bench and cried, but like made full eye contact with people going by. <laughs> That's crazy. I, I called it, cry, she cry fucked the people. <laughs> like, you imagine just being like bawling and watching as if it's their fault, like every stranger that walks by. Cry fucking's funny, dude. Cry fuck the shit out of these people. That's really funny. Um, yeah, dude, I don't know. I just am like, how am I going to fucking get my life going again once, you know, things resume? And, and when they do resume, is it going to be painful? Is it going to be like, awkwardly slow and like you know it, it things open but it's not the same like i don't you know what i mean it's just yeah overwhelming here's what i'll say it won't be as bad as learning to walk again after you've been paralyzed i mean that's pretty extreme though right but my point being nothing would be as bad as that right i mean so we need we should always compare it to that because those people have it worse so this is interesting because speaking of coping, no, but dude, just, seriously, this reminds me of a good coping mechanism. Bear with me. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes when things feel really terrible, a good remedy is to watch a very deeply depressing documentary about yeah. people who just don't have it as good as you do and really does make you feel better. That's good. Yeah, I'll watch The Fault in Our Stars. Oh, yeah. Which is the saddest movie on in movies. Dude, I auditioned for that main role, and I, like, did well. I, got, I, like, progressed through the process. You auditioned for the role that was given to Ansel Elgort? Yeah. I have the audition tape still. Oh, what the? That's a big deal. Yeah, I was a little too old, but they were, like, emailing my manager at the time, asking a bunch of questions, and, like, they really liked me for it and stuff. And that was, at the time, it was a big boost for me, for my confidence. Dude, I don't get I don't get auditions for roles that have names. Uh, what, do you, what do you mean? You're like guy. I get who is... finance bro number oh. three, or right. you know lacrosse bully two. Dude, you'd be great in a movie like as the the cutaway to the guy who's laughing awkwardly, uh-huh. and, then, and then they're just like, oh man, like just a really funny moment of you being like. <laughs> <laughs> That could be nice, dude. Yeah, the uh, you, you mentioned the the sad documentaries. I finished that movie, The Platform. Oh yeah, how what did you think about it? I'll tell you something. I don't really think I'm I'm into cannibalism anymore. <laughs> I think I'm out on the idea of eating people. 
<laughs> that movie put it to bed. The scene where he's picking off pieces of like maggot riddled flesh from the rotting corpse uh, two weeks after he's already killed the guy or whatever. Oh, I know. Fuck, man. This and also when the disgusting. guy calls him his little snail. Yeah, that bugged me. While he's tied up. That bugged me. And then and then the scene where she kills herself. Not to get, I mean, whatever. Spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> the lady kills herself to give her body to him to eat. And and then they're kind of having these visions of like, she's like, I'm in oh, yeah. you. Eat me. I want you to do it. Yeah, um, that was weird. I I, yeah, I, I will I thought the psychological concepts of the rationing of the food and the and the way that people immediately look down on the people above them and below them um, once they change levels was, was was really interesting but I thought it was a little heavy-handed on the cannibalism front my girlfriend made it about 60% of the way through and then she was just like she, you know it gets we're dark sitting quick. there we're sitting there watching it <laughs> I after after a, a particularly harrowing scene, I, I I paused it and I was like, you know, how you doing? And she goes, she goes, can I be honest with you? I was like, yeah. She goes, I hate it. I hate this movie. <laughs> Sorry, the poor, the poor girl. We, we've been watching it for, and I'm like sitting there being like, this is kind of interesting. It's a little tough, <laughs> but you know, it's a change of pace. Uh, been watching Curb Your Enthusiasm together and enjoying that, so I'll see how she likes this <laughs> cannibalism movie. Oh, God. Didn't. So, didn't. so I had to finish it on my own. Um, was that the part where they just show half a torso? <laughs> yeah, looked... that was tough. Dude, there, there was just a lot of gore. It was and gory. The eating of the people was was tough to watch. So much so that I've, I think I've revised my stance on how easily I could stomach another person. Yeah, you know, I feel you. I, feel you. I just wouldn't. Want, I really, uh, yeah. Oh, I don't well, know. Well, dude, speaking of watching shit, I was watching a little bit of the Michael Jordan thing yesterday, and I have a question for you because this mm. happens to me, and I want to know if you have a similar feeling. When I watch inspiring stories about inspiring figures who, you know, went against the grain and all that stuff, I just feel depressed that I don't have that kind of strong personality. Yeah, dude, you know, it's a great it's a great point that you bring up because you ask yourself, okay, yes, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, they had genetic gifts. You know what? They were able to move with hand-eye coordination and speed at six foot seven that most people at five ten do not possess. Um so so sure, they were always destined to be great, but at the same time, if you or I had had their will and their desire to be great, how far would we be? How far are we know. held back in our own bodies simply because we don't give as much of a shit as they did? Right. No, I know. I see what you're saying, man. For sure. I don't, I don't know. I don't know the answer. I'm certainly not as talented as them. I, I also know, though, that I have trouble sometimes, like, I'd rather just have everything be chill and normal and not have to like have weird confrontations with people where I'll kind of just be like, all right, I'll, I'll make concessions because I'd rather have it be comfortable for me as opposed to this Dude, like 
totally. And, and, and for some reason, we've glamorized this hyper-competitiveness that people have. These stories of Michael Jordan betting $50,000 with other guys on the team uh, about whose duffel bag would come out of the fucking airport, you know, baggage chute first. Right. Um, and, and needing to win in everything, needing to win in golf, needing to win in, in one-on-one, all this shit. Have you ever met somebody who's that competitive in real life? Yeah, and I fucking hate them every they time. They suck. They Those suck. Those people man. suck to be around. They suck. They I'm st- so glad terrible. you agree with me. Dude, it's constantly, everything you do, you're like sparking some sort of competition. And it's like, dude, oh. chill, man. Like, yeah. we, all, we all can be good. I hate people like that. Do we have a buddy? Sensitive. We have a buddy who is so intense about beer pong. <laughs> so intense about beer pong. Every time he plays, he starts by putting like $20 in the middle of the table. And he's basically like, you can't play against me unless you're willing to bet money. Do I know this guy? Did we play? Did I play beer pong against him? You beer may pong? have done. You may <laughs> have done. Yes. He certainly, yeah. He's noticeable. He's, he's also very good at beer pong. Um, and he's very self-satisfied when he wins. And, you know, there are just times – it makes me not want to either play beer pong or even be around him. And, and, and it's like this is – especially – look, I get it. When we, were, when we were 19, 20, beer pong was very competitive. Right. And it mattered, you know, being, being the guy on the table at the party, that was sort of the center of the, the fun and you wanted to stay on the table and it mattered. You even yeah. thought maybe your ability to hook up with girls depended on it. And it was potentially true. Exactly. Yeah. But now whenever in the, in the rare moments where a beer pong game opens up in my life and I have a chance to play, you know, I'll probably play like once a year now. twice a year somewhere and it's like oh every time you're like oh that looks fun i haven't played beer pong in forever and then my buddy comes along and it's as if he hasn't missed a day it's as if since the day we graduated from college he's been competing in some kind of underground blindfolded russian roulette beer pong league and his skills are as sharp as ever and the 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 tenor at which he operates competitively is just as high strung as it ever was. And immediately you're like, are you fucking kidding me, dude? Like, this isn't what we're going for. Our girlfriends are playing. Like, let's just chill. Right. Dude, totally. Totally. It's, it's really stressful. And dude, I, I, you know, there's, there's an unfortunate, during this time, it's hard to like, it's hard to imagine that like karma exists when it comes to people like that because i know so many people like that who just are so ruthless and they'll do anything to get ahead and they do yeah and like look at the fucking trumps of the world you know what i mean guys who say what you want about him you know what i mean he has this like killer personality this totally like killer be killed thing always everybody's an enemy blah 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 whatever and look at him you know what i mean he's gotten to the he's a pre- fucking president right being no he is you know it, you, it's just a, a machiavellian question of do the ends justify the means? Are your methods and all the bridges that you burn along the way uh, written off as collateral damage once you gain those positions of power or those achievements? And then the question remains like, all right, is it possible to be great 
and achieve legendary status without being a dick. Right. And I think the answer is yes. I mean, you look at Roger Federer, right? Right. You tell me. That was the example I was going to make. Is Federer known in inside inside, uh, tennis circles as secretly being a dick? No, dude. He's not like all the, and I know people on the tour who are in the locker room all the time. I'm pretty, pretty well connected to the tennis world. And everybody says he's the fucking man. That's awesome. Everybody says he's the fucking man. And it is possible then. But, but if you ever listen to Federer give an interview, he always has a moment where he makes the most smug remark. He'll be like, they'll be like, oh, uh, are you excited to play so-and-so in the finals of the Australian Open? He'll be like, you know, it's going to be a great match. Um, It's exciting for him playing the greatest player of all time. Uh, He's had a great year, but like he'll always drop some shit like that in. So does he say that? Is it that on the nose? Every Federer interview, but then he'll save it immediately by saying something really nice and humble and disarming. He's very disarming. He's He's got a good sense of humor, dude. He still seems like a great guy. I love him personally. I yeah, don't know him, yeah. but I love him. I love all those guys. I love they him. They also look good guys, Nadal. those guys. Yeah. But yeah, Nadal we should hang killer. out with them. I know it'd be so fun. Yeah. I, Novak is the one I have my doubts about. I have my doubts about Nadal and Novak. I have my doubts about Novak because he's a very strong anti vaxxer. Oh, vaccine? He is adamantly opposed to vaccines, which begs really? the question. This was a great article that came up today that if the USTA uh, allows for the resumption of tennis, they'll do it as many sports will uh, under the mandate that all players must be tested and vaccinated once the vaccine comes out. Wow. And for, for a guy like him who has this idea that he refuses vaccines, how is he going to work around that? That's a great question. I'm not really sure, man. My thing about him is he seems he seems so much like he wants everyone to just love him. Yeah. Because he doesn't get the respect that Nadal and Fe- or that Nadal and Federer do for whatever reason. So I almost am like, is he really this nice? Because he's such a humble loser. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Yeah. At the net when he does the handshake, like you can really tell a lot by that interaction. He's mm. he seems like he's happy to be losing. I know. He also doesn't lose that often. I, I, I true, think yeah. that of all those players, if you consider it some kind of weird human rock, paper, scissors, uh, Djokovic was the one who held the upper hand ultimately over Nadal and Federer. I know. I know. He's like the, the best player. Yeah. As far as being great, obviously it, that's a discussion, but as far as being the guy who at the peak of his game – could beat both Nadal and Federer. He's the only guy, really. Right, right. It's crazy. Guys, if you're thinking about starting a podcast, fill in the blanks here. If I were in a concert right now, and I said, if you're thinking about starting a podcast, I'd then turn the microphone to all of you sitting in the stadium, and you would all yell, Anchor, Anchor. And then you'd say, go to anchor.fm to download the software where you could host your very own podcast, see all the best analytics. You could see it in a way that was really user-friendly and nice and not too technical and industry jargony. It's a way that any person can look at it and be like, ooh, that's pretty. And also it's our podcast. And you, there's no minimum listenership required to advertise and monetize. So you can immediately have ads when you hit the ground running. It's really exciting, really spectacular. If you want to start your very own podcast, anchor.fm, download it now. So, <laughs> you know, we, we hear all of these examples to return to the, the can you be great without being a dick. You hear so many examples of people who were great, but who behind the scenes were dicks. David Letterman, famously, right. was a 
kind of crotchety growling guy who you know as it came out was having affairs with people that worked with him and and would notoriously keep the air conditioning at the studio for you know the ed sullivan theater on full blast and and the studio (laughs) audiences and the staff would be freezing because that's how he wanted it to be but then he's in my opinion, you know, second maybe to Carson, the greatest late night host ever. I and agree. Yeah. So likable when the lights and the cameras were on. So you and just enough edge. Yeah. Just, you, he was great. So you kind of forgive it. You forgive these little things you hear. Tiger Woods, right? Crazy, crazy affair stories break out. It's known, you know, we started, I remember there was a crazy story about him going to the Navy SEALs base for the day. Did you hear this? No. And he like went through some of their training and like lifted weights with them, shot guns on the range. And then he and like six of the Navy SEALs who had taken them through their facility and given them this tour all day, went out for like breakfast at like a diner. And when the checks came, he was like, aren't we splitting this or something? Oh no. Tiger Woods, you know? I hate that. I think it speaks more to the fact that Tiger may have a few bolts missing. Like it, it sounded more of like a, just a lack of social awareness right, as opposed right. to like being cheap and right. whatever. But I noticed yeah. that a lot, dude. And those be and, and people I know who are really successful are almost always weird. Well, dude, you think they have about something it. Something right? about them. When we were playing beer pong against our competitive friends in college, Tiger Woods was spending his fifth hour on the driving range working on six irons. Right. So they are miss they miss out on a lot of the social education that I think uh, that we that we had for us because we were trying to live balanced lives, which is why nobody fucking knows who we are, right? But Dude. you know, we we ultimately forgave Tiger. We for, the world forgave Tiger and rooted harder for him than any other athlete right. in the past ten years because he was so great. People love redemption too, man. Exactly. So the question is, you know, who are the totally pristine, uh, redeemable people that that have no blemishes on their records, right? Who have who've been nice all the way and have achieved the top spot. I mean, LeBron is a very interesting example because right. LeBron doesn't have any blemishes, really. Yeah, you're right. He doesn't, and yet we hate it. People hate him, right? People he hate has- LeBron. He has a personality thing that I, I understand why people do. I love him, but I understand. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, you really, you're, people sewer his career because he was too public and dramatic about how he was traded from one team to another. Right. It's very specific. Yeah. But yeah, the Jordan stuff, dude, it's, it's a great question. I'm glad, we, I'm glad you brought that up, the hyper-competitiveness. I just, yeah. you know, I, I get it that some people have that and rely on that. Um, and it, it was the case, like, I knew all along, I'm competitive, but I'm not, I can, I can move past things quickly. And I used to think that that was a character flaw. Right. That I, that I, it meant that I didn't care enough, that I was able to, like, compartmentalize and, and move on, you and know? That makes you a good competitor, man. Like, because in tennis, you know, I, I know we keep talking about tennis, but – if you lose a point, if you keep thinking about that point and you start acting negative because of the point, like all the great champions are really good at brushing things off when they have a bad loss or like yeah. all those great guys have heartbreaking losses. 
like life altering losses potentially. Right. And so maybe you're the ultimate competitor. I also think tennis is an interesting sport in that there are four Super Bowls a year. Right. Yeah, you're you right. You know what I mean? That there simply is no time to to dwell on a loss because and not only that, but like each major tournament is two weeks, you know, whereas in the NBA season or whatever it is, you got the whole year leading up to this moment that can change. And, you know, you right. come up one game short in the NBA finals. I mean, that, and then that sits with you all summer long and all right. the way until the next June. Totally. So I like that about tennis though, that you, the, the point that you're, you have the opportunity to come back much more quickly. Yeah, that's a good point. I never thought about that. Yeah. Well, dude, I have a funny story for you. Hit me. I, oh, did you want to talk about Dennis Rodman? Oh, yeah. yeah. I had quickly, uh, I had a funny Dennis Rodman encounter. I always loved Dennis Rodman. Loved yeah. him. Um, and he's just so interesting and funny and his story is so interesting and inspiring and whatever. So I was in LA and I'm walking down the street with Ricky Velez and we're heading to the comedy store. And we're on that. I don't know if you guys have been there on Sunset, but like there's a sidewalk from the little parking lot, whatever. So I'm walking and Dennis Rodman is walking in front of me and he's with his friend and he's with this girl. So we're following them and I was like, oh my God, Dennis Rodman. In my head, I'm like, I want to try to get a picture with him or something. You know what I mean? His girl, the girl that's with them drops a cigarette and I pick it up and I go, oh, miss, you dropped this. And she kind of is like, oh, she's really nice. She's like, oh my God, thank you so much. And like, I guess it could be construed as flirting maybe. And she's like, thanks. Like, what are you guys up to or something? And Dennis Rodman just turns around and goes, oh, look at this. He's like, oh, I guess don't worry about us. About him and his friend. <laughs> he goes, don't worry about us, man. Yeah, we're just, we don't care. We, we're gay with each other. We don't care about her. He said that? Yes. And I was just like, oh, ha, ha, like trying to be like, oh, ha. And then he's like, what are you guys doing? And we're like, oh, we're, I'm, I actually am going to the comedy store. Like, I have a show. You guys should come. He goes, oh, Mr. Funny Man. Oh, you're funny too, huh? Ha, 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 ha. Oh, Mr. Funny Guy. I was so terrible, dude. I just wanted him to like me, and he just fucking hated me, and it was terrible. And they were going to the comedy store too. So then we walk in together, and he ends up getting kicked out. He ends up getting kicked out of the club 15 minutes later. Really? Yeah. Like, For I don't know. what? He was like, he was heckling in the belly room or something like, oh, Jesus. yeah, it was really dark, but dude, it was a really bummer of a moment where like, you look forward to that encounter with your favorite celebrity and then they just hate your guts. Dude. I mean, <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's a, the story's not surprising at all. Um, <laughs> his brains are addled. They've been scrambled. Yeah. You know what I mean, dude? Like yeah. he has no grasp on reality. And I don't know if it's because of drugs or concussions or drinking or just a total undiagnosed, you know, mental disorder that has clearly gotten worse over the years. But you, you look at Dennis Rodman when he played for the Pistons and the Spurs before yeah. he got to the Bulls, right? And he, he was a guy, you want to talk about hyper-competitive. I mean, that, that guy just took everything personally. Uh, he's like Ron Artest. And he starts dyeing his hair. I remember, do you remember when he like dressed up in a... Yeah, in a dress and like a, a wedding dress. And that was sort remember, of legendary. Dude, when, when that happened when I was a kid, I remember hearing that and thinking like, 
what happened to Dennis Rodman? Why I love him. I love him. Why did he? Why would he do this to me? Like, <laughs> why is he crazy? I've never heard of a man wearing a dress like this. If he did that today, it would be like one normal, and right. the amount of people that would like come to his defense on Twitter. I know. Or you know, acting on his, uh, to who he truly was. Totally. And, trying to rope them into some cause. Totally. It's just crazy to think. Um, But now he's like, you know, Kim Jong-un's like best buddy. I mean, he's- That's the craziest, that, those documentaries are awesome. He's fucking crazy, dude, so. So, uh, dude, um, the two things that always strike me about him. So first of all, like, I don't know how much you know about his, his backstory, but he played college basketball at an NAI program because he was too old to be eligible to play NCAA because he just was working at the airport. And then he started playing. Yeah. He started playing basketball like later, much later in life. I think in his twenties, maybe forget specifically, but then he ends up getting pretty good. He ends up getting drafted somehow. And then he's just this like really innocent kid who like when he won, he won defensive player of the year and he was like crying and like so humble and sweet. And like, I don't know where like this happened to him, Yeah, but it was almost like he wasn't ready for like the big world or something. Right. That is uh, yeah. a remarkable story. Well, I think I'm hoping one thing we'll see with the documentary right now is how uh, Michael Jordan was able to like keep him under control. Oh, interesting. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. clearly that was a dude who was unraveling and probably would have gone off the rails sooner if Michael Jordan hadn't I'm or or whether it was Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan, the the whole team ethos, I don't know what, but was like, yo, you need to be ready to go, keep your fucking shit together, because he was like out banging Carmen Electra, and you know, is the Playboy Mansion all the time? That's right, yeah, and like Madonna, I think he dated, you know. So the fact that he was able to keep it together enough to like, he was averaging like 16 rebounds a game and he's only six, nine or something. He wasn't a seven foot center, you know? I know. One of those like once in a generation guys who's like a little smaller, who's just incredible in the paint for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, Super tenacious. Yeah. Dude. And he, Phil Jackson often says that that team would not have been anywhere near as good without him on the team. I believe it. I believe it. Um, He came into Barstool one time and, you know, he speaks very strangely now. It's sort of a tumbling rush of words that comes out of his mouth in in, almost indecipherably. Um, So I don't know. Part of me does feel bad for him. Like my heart breaks a little because I think he's become this like pin cushion for society. And we all like he's a he's a running joke. But let's not forget how dominant he was at rebounding you know no and in the most and became a dominant force in the nba in the most unusual way it's a nice yeah. it's a nice story yeah um wow that's so funny that you that you ran into him like <laughs> dude i know it was so fuck it was so shitty oh <laughs> don't mind me huh? I know. I know. uh that's great well I wanted to tell you, it's 4.20 today, um, and uh, it's interesting because this enti- it's 2020, so they're saying that the entire month of April, we're celebrating 4.20 this year. 
Oh, wow. Four oh, of crazy. 20. Yeah, yeah. And last night, I kind of dosed my mom with an edible. <laughs> what? May or may not have dosed her a little bit. Now, here's what happened. My, my, mom, my mom's tough. She's tough. She's, uh, she's just been fighting her whole life. Um, you know what I mean? She was like the middle child of five kids. Uh, she went to Princeton and she was in the first class of women at Princeton. And it was like a pretty sexist place at that time, obviously. And then got her PhD at Yale. And she was the first coach of, I think I've told you this women's tennis at Yale ever. Crazy. And she was an all American squash player herself, Princeton. And just enduring so much sexual harassment from like the athletic director at Yale. Uh, this was before Title Nine. So, so having guys. having to go fight with this like manly, fat, sweaty athletic director just to get the, the like a hundred bucks to rent a, a van that she would then have to drive so that the women's tennis team could go play like Dartmouth and and harvard and stuff meanwhile the men had a chartered coach bus right um and just and just like yeah whatever all that shit and then she went and worked on the bond trading floor at jp morgan she was the only woman there just always fighting like along the way and i think it's it's hardened her a little bit right she carries a chip on her shoulder so i tried last night to to sort of melt that chip a little bit with uh with 10 milligrams of dark chocolate. And uh, I told her it was five. I told her it was nothing. She would barely even notice it. She's got real shoulder pain. She's, uh, she's had two knee replacements and her shoulder is now the latest to, to just have no cartilage left. So she's got bad arthritis. And I said that a lot of people take marijuana as a way of dealing with chronic joint pain. and I convinced her to try a little edible, but I told her it was five milligrams and that it was like half the dose that I normally take. But I gave her 10. I don't know why. I just wanted to see what would happen. And dinner was phenomenal. I mean, she was giggling, laughing. Uh, You know, we were laughing at my dad, having a great time. And I'm talking continued laughs, like to the point where I worried I worried she was going to get self-conscious about how hard she was laughing because <laughs> I didn't, I didn't want anyone to point it out. You know what I mean? I, I'm a, a frequent user of, of marijuana. So I, I knew when she had, st- had started to come on, you know what I right, mean? Right, right. But I don't know if anyone else, my, my girlfriend did too, but I knew that if someone pointed it out, she would become self-conscious and then anxious. And then that would be a problem. But <laughs> As long as we didn't mention it, uh, I figured we could ride it out. But then, <laughs> so we like say goodnight at a great dinner. It was probably the most lighthearted, jovial dinner we'd had. This morning, I get a text from my mom. She goes, good morning, exclamation point. I have a package for you. It might be from Bro Bible. Also, Fran, I would like to chat about the edible last night when you have a chance to talk with me privately. 
So I go over, I'm like, oh shit, this is going to go one of two ways. Either after we left, like my mom was like, that was the best thing ever. Please bring me more. Or she's going to be like, after you left, uh, I ate the couch and murdered the dog. And (laughs) we need to make sure that never happens again. But she, she, so I went over and talked to her and I think she just kept getting higher and higher after we left. And (laughs) she felt very guilty about how she like made fun of my dad. And we, she just felt this shame and like we were all kind of laughing about it and uh i then revealed that i'd given her more of a dose than i thought i should have and so i'm hoping we can try it again with a lesser dose for her (laughs) dude i mean that's that's yeah that's reasonable it could have been a much worse conversation i agree what have you ever had have your parents what's your parents stance on pot would you ever smoke with them would you ever eat edibles with them what's the deal my parents um, are fine with it, I guess. I'm not a big smoker. Occasionally, right. I will. Um, but I think, you know, now in adulthood, like, I don't, I think they'd be fine with it. My mom probably would be like, ah, it smells bad. Like, as you know, she probably thinks the smell is too potent. Mm. Um, but now, they're, neither of them are like pot smokers. I don't know. This, so this doesn't not, apply as much to them. They're not anti. They're not, like, no. They're not anti per se. My mom is anti because she's kind of like sensitive with mm-hmm. smells and it's yeah. obviously a strong odor. Um, but I guess they're, they're fine with it. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 I felt bad after I, I, I should have given her less. I think there, that's just such a bad experience. It's like, it's like teaching a dog to swim. Like you shouldn't just throw the puppy off the dock and be like, figure it out. You know, <laughs> like you got to let them kind of ease their yeah. way in and feel it around and get used to the water and like, Oh, this is actually kind of nice. Huh? Totally. Cause my mom was just getting higher and higher and being like, where's the rip cord. Ah! <laughs> That's great. Uh, Dude, yeah. The first 30 minutes that I'm high, like I've, I've been smoking a little bit out here cause there's nothing to do. I like that. That's good. I'm excited. The first 30 minutes, I'm like so motivated and I think I'm so clever and I'm having such a good time. And then the rest of it, I'm just starving and like paranoid. Yeah. Dude, I find, I find that I find that the more that I uh, use marijuana in my life, the more I've been able to master the cravings and exist in a comfortable sustained state as opposed to it being some place where i've let go of all inhibitions i'll eat whatever i want right and and kind of just like not have a and melt you know right um and you're not tired the next day or anything if i smoke too much or if i eat too much edibles i am tired i'm drowsy and i lag and i hate that i hate feeling hung over from weed it's a bad feeling um but part of me knows that like the the way i combat that is i'll just make sure that i do it earlier in the evening and it's just like drinking for me like i'll stop a couple hours before i go to bed so that i can my body can sort of flush it out better i don't know it's solid Solid, yeah Chris, Chris, hop in here for a second. Chris is an avid pot user. Um, Chris, did you do anything to celebrate 420 yesterday? Um, after I finish doing all this, hopefully, yeah, I will. Oh, today's? Yeah, that's right. Today's 420. 
Well, I thought you were talking about tomorrow because this will come out tomorrow. But... Sounds like somebody's been using the pots and pans already, Chris. No, no, not yet. <laughs> I can't. I can't work and do that. Is that right? No, I can't. I could. It's just it would take like 150 percent of my brain power to do it, and it would take a long time, and I just don't enjoy it. Chris, you're looking like an eight today. I gotta be honest. Thanks, with you. dude. Yeah, you're, you're looking good. real good. It's hot. Yeah, Thank you're you. looking real hot. You got nice skin. Nice skin. Yeah. Have you lost some more weight? Yeah, I'm down to twenty. You lost great, twenty man. pounds, dude. Yeah, it's, it's like a month. Good we're, man. We're gonna have to put you in a tank top soon to get get a real <laughs> sight on those on those traps and hams. Those guys. Yeah, I'm yoked yeah. now. Nice. Chris, right. that's that you bring up a good point about working. I remember when I was in college, I had to write a paper for a class that I hadn't gone to the entire semester. <laughs> oh god. This is this is before I like started buckling down in school. This is the semester before. And the our entire grade was based on this paper. I didn't go to a single class and it was midnight and I had to write this 10-page paper that was my entire grade. For some reason, I smoked before. Doing oh my that. god and i remember sitting down to try to start writing this paper and i just started sobbing <laughs> <laughs> sobbing dude but i got it done and i got a b minus and i got a b minus uh the old b minus uh, <laughs> a man's best friend <laughs> it's the goal it's the it's the it's the Goldilocks of grades. Like, not too, not too sharp, not too sweet, yeah. just right. <laughs> Dude, yeah. B minus is... Yo, papers, man. Like, I... Well, first of all, not going to class. I mean, one of the big reasons that I... I went to more and more class as school wore on. Same. Um, and one of the big reasons was I became acutely aware of exactly how expensive those classes were. That's interesting. And there was this financial guilt as though I was cheating my parents out of my education by not attending class. Right. Um, and so I started to go much more and it, it just was so much easier when I went to class. Right. You don't have to it catch so up. True. So true. Yeah. You have so you have a baseline for learning. It's like you learn it once and then you learn it again when you do your homework and then you fucking know it. What cramming your, hurts. What's that? Cramming. Cramming yeah. literally hurts. And oh, yeah. I you know, I'm glad that I taught myself how to kind of like break things up over a period of time. I mean, college was so valuable for me, man, as far as like coming of age and stuff. I really matured a lot. I agree. I agree. Um I oh, boy, I didn't I didn't have too many things to cram for but yeah having to write like seven pages of a research paper in a night is just oh my god it's a fucking marathon dude dude yeah for art history i remember the same thing this is the same semester that i i did with the paper story i didn't go to my art history class the entire semester either i couldn't make it 11 a.m was too early <laughs> just pathetic dude and like i had <laughs> And the way we did tennis practice is we had a 6 a.m. practice and a 6 p.m. practice. I never went to the 6 a.m. practice ever once. You didn't we, have to? No, you had to pick. Oh, interesting. Because with our class schedules, like, it was a whole thing. So, like, people couldn't make the 6 p.m. practice because they had class, whatever. Oh, so, I would wow. always go to 6 p.m. class. Anyway, I didn't go once the entire semester. Had to cram. I took a 30-milligram Adderall. I had never taken Adderall in my life. I took a 30-milligram extended-release Adderall. And I just almost started like tripping balls on dopamine. Like, yeah, 
Dude, that sounds I, like a lot to start with. I first, I thought I, I thought that I could like figure anything out in the world. I wrote this comprehensive plan how to solve world hunger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking. I was like, it's all about empowering people, empowering the people, <laughs> microfinancing. Like I wrote this whole crazy thing. And then by 6 a.m., I had somehow gotten to a fight with my girlfriend. I convinced myself that like she had done something wrong. I stormed out of the apartment. I slept on my friend's couch. It was the biggest emotional roller coaster. <laughs> and it's just not worth it, man. Like it's not worth it to cram. No, no, no. Or, or I, was that the start of your Adderall? That, that, that experience started it. led you to think like, well, this is for me. Dude, I said I'm never doing this again, and I got straight A's for the rest of college. But you did it. Uh, what do you mean? Did you take Adderall again after that? I started taking it every day for 10 years. That's what I thought. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yep. So Turn my life around, bro. Did you? That's amazing. When, when was that? This was uh, the semester before second semester. Uh, so it was first semester junior year. Wow. So I from to Sorry, go ahead. So from your uh, junior spring forward, you got straight A's? I got straight A's. I lost 15 pounds, and I ended my senior year playing number one singles, where I wasn't in the starting lineup in junior Holy year. Holy fucking shit, dude. Yeah. Well, that is an endorsement for the drug, I guess. I'm realizing now, if I got drug tested, I probably would have had to sit out because I don't think you're allowed to take that. If you don't have a prescription. Yeah, I always wondered about that. It was on the banned substances list, but I thought there was some allowance for if you if you were actually prescribed the drug. So I was not I was not prescribed. Um and I became prescribed after, like after college. Got it. I just buy well, off friends and stuff. Let's check in with you now because you you've now been off of Adderall for some months, right? For, yeah, since since we started, I haven't taken it once. Since we started the quarantine. Since, no, no, no. Since we started, since I, I started, since I said I'm not taking it anymore, I haven't taken it. And that, that was a few months ago, right? Yeah. And I, I took some of this, do, this powder thing, but like now I, the, the thing, the issue that I have with it that I'm unsure about still is when I did that initially, I ate an incredibly clean diet because I was like, I can't, I don't know if I can handle this if I'm like drinking and not mm -hmm. eating well. So I was eating really healthy, not drinking, not doing any drugs, like clean so it was mm -hmm. fine i felt pretty good during this i have more time so even though i have drank I've, I've drank like one night a week and i'm eating pretty healthy still for the most part um but i i'm unclear how it would go if my lifestyle was normal again like would i be able to be drinking and not taking it like i yeah. need to, I, I don't want to take it anymore um i think that i've now matured to the point where maybe i can handle it but i don't know we'll see i feel pretty good that's great, dude. That's a huge step to wean yourself off of something that, that has that much effect on your brain chemistry. Yeah. And I, I really believed that I could not function without it. And I am probably very ADD and, uh, you know, I can, and I can function without it. And it feels nice to like go to the doctor and write, no, are you under, are you taking any medications? Yeah. 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 Dude, it reminds me though, you mentioned you mentioned, uh, you know, having a tough quarantine day and having mm -hmm. down days. And I had one, I think it was on Saturday. I mean, I have them pretty frequently now, so it is what it is. But here's how irrational I got. I, 
I started thinking, well, I can't do this anymore. I need, I need to change. I need something different. This life that I have right now here, I need more. And I started, but I didn't think that I could, um, I didn't think that I could just like tell my family and my girlfriend, guys, like I'm leaving, I'm going to go drive to Yellowstone and hike. That was the plan? No, something, something that, you know, akin to that. So I needed a, a, a justifiable reason for how I could gain separation. And I started looking at um, branches of the military that I could join. <laughs> and I, it turns out that I'm too old to enroll in the Marine Corps. The cutoff is 29. But the mm-hmm. Army allows you to enroll until you're 34. The Air Force is 31, so I could still join the Air Force, but I wouldn't want to. Um, the Navy I can join. And yeah, so I can, I can join the other three other than the Marine Corps, which is too bad because that was the one I wanted to join. But dude, I, I started looking at like ways to enroll. I was just thinking like, you know, I could really use four years where I am told exactly what I have to do as opposed to having free time and too much time to like let my thoughts go crazy. Right. I mean, that's, dude, that's how, a crazy, that's how yeah. stupid I got on Saturday. I'm sorry, dude. That's hard. Have you gone hiking at all? Yeah. We go for walks and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So dude, I have this, I have this app called all it's all trails app. Have you heard of it? No, it's a hiking app. And basically it tells you where all the hiking trails are wherever n- nearby. And I've been okay. doing that. I've been going on one almost every day. And That's so it nice. makes me feel much better in case, I don't know. What time of day do you go typically? I'm go like I usually go, I'll, I'll exercise and then I'll go right afterward. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. And, I, and like I've been going on long ones. Like yesterday I went on like an eight mile hike. The hell? I know. It took three hours. But I mean, these are, they're not like challenging. You know what I mean? It's pretty flat. Sure. But it's, it's nice. It's nice to clear your head and get in nature and everything. Do you bring your, around. Do you listen to music? Sometimes I'll call people. I'll listen to a little music. I'll, huh. Yeah. That is nice. Yeah, whatever. Well, better than joining the military, probably. <laughs> Potentially. Dude, right, I'll, I'll, here, here was one of the things that stopped me from, from emailing a recruiter. I, you got that far? Oh, yeah. I was getting contact info. I was, I was <laughs> really spiraling. And one of the things that stopped me was that I was like, oh, I've got, I've got 136,000 Instagram followers. And I just feel like if I join the military for four or five years or whatever, by the time I came out, I don't think that they'd all still be following me. What? <laughs> like I was worried that my, this, this beloved Instagram following that I've, kind of nurtured up the coaxing <laughs> the little flames all these years that if I went to, to Fallujah or, you know, at the Korengal Valley and didn't have cell service to post funny <laughs> shit, all these people would be like, ah, he's not, I'm not one following him anymore. And I'd come back from active duty with like 6,000 followers and I'd be all sad about it. Dude, are there, are there rules about that? Like, are you not allowed to make Instagram videos in the army? I think there, I think there are some rules. I mean, I know some people in the military who have Instagrams and, you know, <laughs> I think there's stuff they can and they can't post, but 
yeah if <laughs> Dude, i went from if i went from like people following me for for my game of thrones songs and then all of a sudden i'm posting like my camo face paint and my fucking assault rifle being like you know hoorah bitches right. <laughs> people be like whoa this is not what i signed up for uh <laughs> so That's i couldn't good, face well. that so you know there it is i mean instagram helping in in weird ways yeah yeah i do love the military though i've always been enchanted by by war it is a very interesting <laughs> culture it is i mean i agree yeah uh, let's call it there, dude. That was good. Yeah, good discussion. We covered a lot of different shit today. Wow. Um, as always, you guys send us your fantastic submissions. We've been getting so many interesting emails and DMs, stories from people uh, to our Instagram account, Oops the Podcast. You can also email them to our Gmail account, Oops the Podcast at Gmail dot com. Um, please subscribe and rate and review leave a comment about the pod uh, that always helps we would appreciate that um for now i'm francis ellis and he's julio galrati yes. any last words g yeah check out our youtube also hell yeah hey we'll see you next week everybody thank you yes